This is our tenth and, I believe, final session on 1 Thessalonians 2.13-16. And we're finishing with, And wrath has come upon them, that is, the Jews, to the end. You suffered, you Thessalonians suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they, the churches in Judea, suffered from the Jews, who the Lord Jesus killed and the prophets and us drove out and God do not please and to all people opposed hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved in order to always fill up their sins. And now, and wrath has come upon them to the end. Father, as we try to grasp the significance of what this wrath is and when and why it came upon them and how long it will last, would you open our eyes to see the relevant connections in this text and outside this text so that we grasp the mind of the apostle here, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I argued last time that there's a purpose in this opposition to the gospel, it seems. These things were happening from the Jews against Jesus, against the prophets, against the apostles against all people, in order that their sins would be full, and when full, something climactic would happen. And that climactic event appears to be this. Let's see if we can trace the argument of the New Testament that brings us to this point. Let's go back to this parable. In Matthew 21. Here another parable, Jesus says. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard and leased it to tenants and went into another country. And when the season for fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. So this is a picture of God planting the, t the vineyard of, of Israel and now sending prophets to them. And the tenants, the people, the Jewish people, took his servants and beat one, killed another. So that's the reference to killing the prophets that Paul was referring to in 1 Thessalonians 2, and stoned another. And he sent other servants, more than the first. He kept sending these prophets to try to draw the people back. And they did the same. Finally, he sent his son. Now, this is the climactic sin. Remember, they killed the Lord Jesus, not just the prophets. He sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. When, therefore, the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? And here's the answer in the next three verses, four verses. He said to him, 
he will put those wretches to a miserable death. That's referring to the people. And let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give to him the fruit in their season. And then here's the great conclusion. Therefore, Jesus says, I tell you this is the conclusion of the parable. The kingdom of God will be taken away from you. That's Israel. And given to a people producing its fruits. And that's the church. That is, all who believe on the Messiah. So since there was this decisive sending of the Son, and this decisive rejection of the Messiah on the part of Israel, the result is God now takes his saving reign, which for, what, 2,000 years, from Abraham down to Jesus, has been focused on Israel, and he says, I am taking it away. That is a dramatic turn in redemptive history, and I'm going to give it, give my saving focus to the people producing its fruits. So he gathers a new people in the Messiah, Jesus Christ, and it is the church of Jesus Christ. Consider Luke 21. When you see Jerusalem surrounded, Jesus says, by armies, then know that its desolation has come. They will fall by the edge of the sword. So the Jewish people, Jerusalem, will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among the nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Now remember, he had said here, I'm going to take the kingdom from you, and I'm going to give it to a people producing its fruits. This would be largely the Gentile converts to Jesus Christ as he gathers a new people of God And here it says, these are called the times of the Gentiles, while the Jews are passed over. Now, here's the way Paul talks about that. He says, lest you Gentiles be wise in your own sight. I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel. So that's what happens when He takes the kingdom away from Israel. Or that's what happens during the times of the Gentiles when Jerusalem is trampled underfoot. A partial hardening. So God hands them over to their own rebellious rejection of the Messiah and decrees that there will be a hardness so that they will be unresponsive, by and large, to the gospel until the fullness of the Gentiles, during the times of the Gentiles, has come in, sounding like, oh, it has an end. And drop down here to verse 30. For just as you Gentiles were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience. Do you see what he's saying? The Jewish disobedience, rejecting their Messiah, caused a spillover to the Gentile people to receive mercy. So what mercies had been 
directed toward Israel for all those years now turns toward the Gentile converts. So they too, here's the mystery, they too have now been disobedient. So the Jews are in a season of hardness. They too are disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, this fullness of the Gentiles coming in, they also may now receive mercy. So after this season of disobedience, this season of hardness, it will be lifted and mercy will come to Israel. Now, what then does to the end mean? So I'm arguing that this is a purpose of God that the Jewish people bring their disobedience to fullness, and thus God turns away from them for the times of the Gentiles. He gathers a great countless number of people in Christ from the nations, and that filling up of their sins in the rejection of the Messiah has resulted in this season of wrath that has now come upon them. This hardening has come upon them. This, this rejection has come upon them to the end. What does to the end mean? Now, let me just give you several places where this Greek phrase to the end occurs. Here's Matthew 10, 22. You will be hated by all for my name's sake, he says to his disciples, Jesus does. But the one who endures to the end will be saved, to the end of your testing, either to the end of your life or to the end of the season till Jesus comes. So there's a specific period that comes to an end, and during that time, you'll be faithful and you'll be saved. Or here's another illustration of the limited use of Astelos to the end. Because this widow, he's telling a parable about this unjust judge, because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her, and it is translated, continual coming. So this to the end is translated continual, so it means to the end of my patience, <laughs> to the end of my tether, continual coming. So there's a definite end to this tell us, or here's Jesus in John 13, 1, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end, which probably means to the uttermost on the cross. Nothing held him back. So to the end here doesn't mean forever. Astelos doesn't mean forever in the New Testament. It means to a certain point, and that point can be conceived of as a goal because this purpose right here is goal-oriented. There's a purpose that their sins be filled up, and that purpose is that in the rejection of the Messiah, this hardening would come upon them to, till the end, till the goal is over. 
And then, though it's not mentioned here, comes this mercy. Just as you Gentiles were shown mercy, now mercy will come to Israel. So I think, if I step back now and ask, what in the world prompted Paul to say all of that here? I think the answer goes something like this. He is showing the Thessalonians that they became imitators. They received the Word of God. It's at work in those who believe. It really is, and we can see that it is, because you became imitators of the churches of God in Christ that are in Judea. And then he explains how they were imitators. You suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews. And some of these folks themselves are Jewish people, we know from Acts 17, and it was the Jews who persecuted them in Thessalonica. And so just as the Christians were opposed by the Jews in Judea, you have been opposed yourself, which raises a huge question, which he now addresses here, of what's going on, Paul, with the fact that God's very people are so recalcitrant against the gospel. So you've pointed out that we are encountering, encountering suffering from our countrymen who are Jewish, many of them, and in Judea, they suffered the same things from the Jews. So, Paul, you've raised the question of how is it, how come the Jewish people in city after city are the ones who are resisting the gospel? And so, Paul takes it upon himself to give this massive, theological explanation that all of this resistance to Christ, to the prophets, and to the apostles, and to God himself, and to all people, all of that has a purpose. And that purpose is the filling up of sins, which brings down a season of wrath and hardness and passing over to a certain goal, a certain end, and in the end, mercy will be shown as the Jewish people are addressed once again. Now, he doesn't say all that here. I know that. I had to gather that from Matthew and Luke and Romans, but Paul said many things to this church that he only alludes to in part in these two letters. And so I wouldn't be surprised if this was one of them.